So far this month, we have learned about the holiness of God, we've learned about the sovereignty of God, and we've learned about just honoring the Father in all that we do. But today we're going to learn about wisdom, and another word that's synonymous with wisdom is skill. Now, not the Napoleon Dynamite type of skill, we're talking about a skill that God has given us as he has displayed it, he's also instilled it within us. Sometimes we could think of wisdom as only something that is head knowledge, but I want you to know that it's much more than that. Now, as we are going on in this summer series, we are going through a series called Deeper. And what you'll notice is we have talked about each attribute of God. Every one of those attributes has something that is attainable to you and I. We can be holy as God is holy. Now, we're not going to be sovereign. We're not going to be perfect. But God wants us to grow in our intimacy with God. And so during the month of June, today's the last um, uh, Sunday in June, we're focusing in on the intimacy that we're to have with God through the different Proverbs that we're looking at. And then in July, we're going to talk about the community that we are to have with one another. And finally, in August, the influence that we're to have all through the book of Proverbs. Now, today we're going to strive to, to learn about wisdom, a wisdom of God. And not only learn about God's wisdom, but the wisdom that he wants us to have and to display in our life. Now, in order for this to happen... I want to tell you a story, and then after this story, I want to give you a definition of wisdom so that you have a pretty good understanding of what wisdom is about. So first, the story. Let me introduce you to the characters of this true story. The first person I want you to meet is Bob. Now, Bob, is his name is just plain and ordinary, but I... I tell you, if you get to know Bob, you will realize that he is an extraordinary individual. He is an extraordinary craftsman. He restores homes. He resurrects dilapidated barns. And he can build something from prints that he drew up himself. Now, this man is a man of vision, but also he has a sense of humor. If you ever work with him in, on the work site and you're taking too long, he'll say, son, you're not building a watch here. And so this is just Bob's way of doing things. Now, Bob is a skillful individual in his trade. And if he doesn't know how to do something, he will study it, he will investigate it, and he will figure out how to do it with excellence. Now, the second person in our story, his name is Don. Now, Don, that's another plain and ordinary name. But I want you to know he's an extraordinary individual as well. And he's learning skills under Bob. You might call him an apprentice craftsman under Bob. This man will show up to the work site properly prepared. He has boots on his feet. He has the pouch ready if he needs it, his, his building pouch. And he has a mindset that says, I want to be alert. He wants to be mentally hungry and wants to do his job well. Now, the third person in our story I want to conceal and protect his identity so no one would make judgments about him. So I am going to call him Bill Joe Baggins. Now the name Bill Joe Baggins 
certainly is far from plain and ordinary, just like this individual is far from plain and ordinary. He's a colorful individual. And he thinks, though, that he is a skilled craftsman in the art of home repair because he can put a light bulb in or he can pound a nail into the wall so as to hang a picture on the wall. But I will tell you, based on this story, you will realize that Bill Joe Baggins is delusional in regards to his ability for home repair. Now, let it be said that Bill Joe Baggins is a very skilled person in his craft. He has been known to be an eloquent orator. He can manage people, and overall, he's a great guy. But building, not so much. So here's the story. Once upon a time, there was a windstorm that came through the land, and Bill Joe Baggins was waxing eloquent with four of his friends at his home, when all of a sudden, there was a knock on his door, and the neighbor came over to tell Bill Joe Baggins that the wind had blown over this fence of his that was in his backyard, the entire fence. Now, Bill Joe Baggins knew for himself that he was incapable of lifting that heavy fence all by himself, although I think he thought he could fix it. Really deep down, he knew he needed help. So he gets on the phone to talk to Bob, the faithful craftsman. And so Bob says, I'll come over and I'll help you out. And Bob and has his assistant volunteer. His assistant comes over, Don, and there's Bob, and there's Don in the backyard, and they are trying to lift this heavy fence, and they are trying to make it plumb and secure. Now, ironically, Bill Joe Baggins was nowhere to be found. The rumor on the street was that he had to watch the children until Miss Brooklyn Baggins came home. Now, when Bill Joe finally showed up, he came out in the, at the construction site wearing flip-flops on his feet. And he said, what can I do? A curious question, I would say. Bob looks at him and says, nothing wearing those things. But wanting to include him, Bob instructs Bill Joe Baggins to go to the truck to get some pieces of concrete to bring them back and they would be foundational to each of the posts of his fence. Now Bob and Don are there holding up the fence, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for Bill Joe Baggins. And he's nowhere to be found. So Don finally goes and sees Bill Joe Baggins picking one piece of concrete and putting it in the wheelbarrow one at a time. And he says, no, 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 we need bigger pieces. And I don't know if he couldn't lift the bigger pieces or if he didn't want to get dirty or was afraid he would drop it on his feet. But Don raced to the rescue and helped him. And finally, the job was complete. The end of the story. Now, the point of this story has everything to do with with true applied skills or wisdom, if you may. In this situation, Bob was the master craftsman. He had the wisdom to do the trade. Don was the true apprentice wanting to know the trade. And Bill Joe was, well, a wannabe craftsman. Now here what we have is a contrast between the wise and what Proverbs calls the simpleton. At least in the area of home repair. Now for the definition. When you think of wisdom, what I want you to think of is a craft, 
a skilled craft that a person has. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, the word wisdom is much broader than how we might think of it. The word wisdom usually in the Old Testament means of a mental and physical skill of a craftsman, a singer, a counselor, or some other kind of worker. And in the book of Proverbs, the word changes just a slight bit to not just encompass that, but to encompass the spiritual, somebody who is skilled, somebody that is an expert in godly living. And so this is what it encompasses. When Solomon was pinning the words of Proverbs right out of the gate in Proverbs chapter 1, he wanted people to understand what wisdom was all about. And if you read chapter 1, you would see that there were three words associated with wisdom that he brings up again and again. Discipline, knowledge, prudence. These are all aspects of the skill of the individual who has wisdom. Discipline is having some form of order. If you are disciplined in your craft, you're going to have order in the way that you do it. Knowledge means understanding. You're going to have knowledge of the craft that you have to do. But prudence is a spiritual aspect where we start to see what God has equipped us to do. We start to see it through his eyes and we understand what he wants. Now, the key characteristic in Proverbs chapter 1 that Solomon says of the wise is a person that listens. Throughout the scriptures, throughout Proverbs, he's going to say he listens. We're going to see it again in our passage. And if he listens, we understand what his motivation is. His motivation is Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It says in Chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if we see ourselves in light of God, in honor of God, a holy God, we have fear in God, then we will start to gain the wisdom that God has for us. Now, here's the question I want us to answer this morning. One question, are we listening and thus becoming wise as God is wise. Are we listening? Are we hearing what God has to say to each and every one of us? Turn in your Bibles. Our primary text is from Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8, verses 22 to 36. In this passage, we're going to see the wisdom. We're going to see the skill first of the Creator. Then we're going to look at the art of the person who is a listener and what will characterize their life. Let's pray that God would really work on our hearts, that we would be a wise follower of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we reverently open your word, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see your heart. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see what wisdom is all about and how that could be applied in our life, that we can be wise as you are wise. But help us to understand your wisdom, the source of wisdom, first. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to see that for us personally in light of the world that we live in. Lord, we recognize that this world has a whole different standard for what is wise. We see it in the decisions that are being made in our country. 
Lord, we see that in our daily life, our daily occurrence. So we pray that you would help us to understand. We beg for your wisdom. We beg that you would give us understanding. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's first look at the, the example of wisdom, the example of skill in God himself in creation. Now, in verse 22 is where we're going to pick up. What I want to say to set the stage is that wisdom is going to be personified. It's going to be made as if it's a real person. And in this passage, wisdom is stated to be the master workman that comes right alongside of God. Now, what Solomon wants us to understand as the reader, he wants us to understand that God is the origin of wisdom. And just as God has always existed, so has wisdom. Wisdom has always been there. Now, he wants to make that distinction that God is the source of wisdom because there was a, the day and age that Solomon lived in where people had a totally different standard for what was wise, just like in our day. There was a man-based wisdom based on the elite, based on the education of individuals. And in that day, it was only the wealthy that could gain the greatest wisdom that was in the land. But I want you to know that's somewhat true in our world today. But in God's economy, even the most simple, even the poorest of individuals is not excluded from God's wisdom because he is the source of wisdom. And we see in our world today all kinds of wisdom. I know that there was a Supreme Court decision this past week that some people are very concerned about. All we saw was a display of man's wisdom. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, God's wisdom. Take a look at verse 22 through 26. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the, or the first of the dust of the world. Stop there. The very first act where we can see wisdom, where we can look down the channels of time, we can go all the way back to the creation of mankind, and we can see that wisdom was there. In fact, our passage says, even before the creation of the world, wisdom existed. Now, in this passage, he uses the word before five different times. Before he made the earth and its fields, before the mountains had been shaped, what Solomon is trying to do is show that wisdom existed long before this world did. And what's interesting is Solomon uses the creation account to amplify the idea that wisdom existed before the world was. And so he actually goes through parts of the creation account. For example, we know in Genesis, uh, Genesis 1 that day 1 was the creation of the world. Look at verse 23. Ages ago, I was set up at first before the beginning of the earth. We know on day two, according to Genesis, that there was the creation of clouds and ocean. Verse 24 says this, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water. We know, according to Genesis day three, that the dry land appeared. Verse 25, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. 
And finally, day four through six, we see the land begins to bear fruit. He says in verse 26, before he had made the earth with its fields, fields produce crops, or the first of the dust of the world. See, it's important to point out that Solomon sees the creation account as the most splendid display of God's wisdom, of his skillfulness. And isn't it true? Even today, you just look at creation. Even when the power of windstorms come through our land, you marvel at the power of God. When you go out on vacation and you see some incredible sunset or you see a mountain range or you see snow-capped mountains and you see the flowers that are cascading through the valleys, it is so amazing to marvel at the splendor of God. And this is what Solomon is saying. It is a display of God's wisdom, of his skillfulness. This is why I think Christi uh, why creation is foundational to all of Christianity. Do you realize that? Because it requires a divine maker, the divine maker. Is it any wonder that there are people like Bill Nye who spend so much of their time trying to make believers look like total dweebs, like morons, because they believe that the Bible is true, when in fact his own hypothesis of evolution takes faith, even more faith, I believe, than what Christianity teaches. And somehow he finds it more palatable because of scientific evidence. My friends, if you boil down the debate between creation and evolution, it comes down to this. If one is trying to understand the creation of this world without the existence of God, then evolution is your only solution because God is not needed in this theory that is based on chance. But if your starting point is faith in God, we see that scientific evidence actually collaborates with what we see in creation instead of discounting it. What we see with people like Bill Nye is the classic man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. But do you think God is caught off guard on this? No, no, no. What did he say in 1 Corinthians? He said this, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the wisdom of God is superior to man's wisdom? Do you believe that the wisdom of God is superior to man's wisdom? See, I don't want to pass over that question too quickly. Because if we truly believe this, then we're not going to allow our cage to be rattled by the Supreme Court decision that was made this week. We're not going to allow our cage to be rattled. What we will do is we will be vigilant. Yes, Christianity is going to be divided. There's already camps divide, uh, developing in regards to uh, those that should accept homosexual marriages within the church and those that wouldn't. Evangelicals that are making proclamations that we should open wide the door. And I would agree that we should open wide the door to anybody that's a sinner that needs to be saved by grace. But we're always going to proclaim the truth. We're going to call sin, sin, and that's just the way it's it. We're not going to amplify one over the other. We're just going to proclaim the truth of God's word. We're going to have to be vigilant in education 
because the, the textbooks are going to change. It is going to be a norm for, a, for a, a dad and a dad and a mom and a mom and a mom and a dad. And it's going to be the norm and you're going to be the idiot for not believing that. But you know what? All we are is vigilant. It's not that we pull our kids out of school. We teach our kids through this. We are vigilant in the midst of all this. Yes, we will have a target on our back. We will become the, we are the minority view, but that's okay. God's with us. He who's with us makes us the majority. Here's what I know. I know that this is opportunity. This is what Philippians 2 says. Be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Does that sound like our world? Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Friends, that's what we're to do. It's opportunity for us to shine brighter. It doesn't mean we become obnoxious Christians that are just posting everything idiotic on Facebook. No, no. We continue to love people. We continue to love as Jesus loved. That's why we trust in, in God. That's how we trust in God's wisdom. So we look at the origin of wisdom in this passage. Now let's look at the work of wisdom in this passage. Look at verse 27. When he established the heavens, it was, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the, fir, the firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the seas its limits so that the waters might not transgress his commands, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, talking about wisdom, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Now Solomon continues on with this creation of count, but he goes from the origin of wisdom to now the work of wisdom by saying the word when. Six times he says when. When the heavens were established, when the oceans were created, when the skies were in place, when he established the foundation of the earth, when he set the limits of the sea with dry land, and when God marked out the foundation of the earth. When, when, when. This is all the work of wisdom alongside of God. Now the key verse is verse 30. Then I, talking about wisdom, the personification of wisdom, was beside him like a master worker. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. See, wisdom is pictured as the master workman, the craftsman that was beside God. At his side shows intimate association. This was a poetic way for God to, to show that wisdom was working there. Now, please know that it wasn't wisdom that was the creator. God was, but God used wisdom as a tool of his creation. And after the creation account was done, wisdom stepped back and marveled, marveled at God. My friends, that's what happens when we understand how wise and awesome our God is. It results in worship. It results in him being exalted. Now here's where it gets profound. Think about this. This is where it gets profound for you and I as followers. Just 
as God was able to display his skillful craftsmanship through the wisdom of his work of creation. Just as he was able to do that, he set the model, he set the example for us. We are able to display his wisdom in our skillful craftsmanship through the work that he has given each Christ follower to do. Do you realize that when you serve, when you work for God, all you are is a display of the wisdom of God because you now become the craftsman. You become the skilled individual. And where did you get that? It was bestowed upon you by God himself. This is why we're told, we're pleaded with by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Get it. This is why we're told in the New Testament by Peter. Peter pleads with us in 1 Peter 4.10. He says this, use whatever gift he has received to faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms. That's what he's telling us to do. Use the gift that God generously gave to us. That's why Paul urges us and reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, this point. He says, we are God's workmanship, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, just as wisdom was used in the arrival of this world, God used a, his wisdom in the arrival of you. God planned it out. Just like he planned out this creation with love, intentional, skill, he planned out you and me. And he says, you are my workmen. So here's the question. How are we displaying God's wisdom in the craft that he has given for us to do? Now, if I could be real, there might be, this might be the place where some, if honest, would say, well, Steve, um, I, I don't know if I really have skills. I really don't know if I have a work that I can do. Please don't say that. Please don't say it because it's, it's two things. It's impossible and it's insulting. It's impossible because God said, everyone that is a Christ follower, I have given, I have given a, an administration of grace in your life. I have administrated and I have portioned it out. You have a gift. You have the skill that God wants you to use. And it's insulting when we take the gift and say it's no good. By doing nothing, we are insulting God, if that's the case. I pray that not be. What is the positive here? What should I do for God? Here's six things I want you to know as your pastor about the gifts God's given you. Number one, our gifts are a display of the wisdom and the brilliance of God. They really are. Number two, our gifts become sharpened as we increase our faithfulness. They become developed. Did you realize that? 
Look at the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. He says, to whom has been faithful, more has been given. With faithfulness, it is sharpened. It is developed. It's never going to be sharpened if we do nothing at all. Number three, our gift set may change depending on the task God has for us. Do you realize God knows that we go through changes in life? He knows that we go from raising little children to having teenagers to having an empty nest to being older, to, to being at a place where we're more financially stable. He has different places in life and he has different purposes for you in each stage of life. And I believe that God will amplify the gift because I believe you may have more than one that he wants to use. Number four, our gifts are used inside and outside the church. One of the biggest mistakes is people preaching for years that you only use your gifts inside the body. That is a travesty. It's for outside the church as well. Number five goes along with it. Our gifts are interwoven within our abilities, and therefore it will greatly benefit us in our occupation. For example, if you have the gift of if you have the gift of leadership. Do you realize that the church will benefit from that just as your work will? This is true of being a servant or having the gift of servanthood or having the gift of faith or the gift of giving or the gift of administration or the gift of encouragement, the gift of mercy, the gift of hospitality, the gift of speaking, the gift of teaching, the gift of shepherding, and even the gift of evangelism. In all these gifts, it'll benefit the workplace. You say, Steve, evangelism, really? That's going to benefit the workplace? Well, what is an evangelist? He's a salesperson. He's somebody who knows the product that he believes in is right, good, and true. That person is often going to be a great salesperson in a company. And finally, our gifts are always, always designed to bring glory to God. Because people look at what God did in you really? And they say, oh, there must be a God. There must be a God. If God can do that through you. Here's the beauty in this. When we understand that God wants to display his wisdom by the skill in the craft he has given each of us, what we can do is we can sit back and we can marvel. That's what we can do. Let me give myself as an example. Every Sunday, either Brian or myself, we get to display the skill, the gifts that God has given us. And there are times that people will say, you know, there's times when people will sleep through either one of us. I understand that. But there are times that people will say, man, pastor, I thought you were reading my mind. Do you know something about me? I mean, what's going on? I was so touched by, and when people say that, I want you to know that neither Brian or myself get a big head. You know why? Because if you would have seen me earlier in the week, I'm on my knees. Lord, please, I just have an empty piece of paper in your word. If I don't have your words, then I'm going to look like a babbling fool. Please, Lord, give me your words. And I want you to know that's not an exaggeration. I am completely dependent upon God to lay upon my heart and when you see something good, I don't take praise for that. That goes right to God because I just laugh. I'm like, man, you did it, God. And you get all the praise. Friends, I know for certain that there are some who feel unfulfilled in their walk with Christ. It may be because you are not fulfilling 
God's design for you. He's crafted you to be used in the workplace and in the church. Pray that God would help you understand that. So what is the key to understanding? What is the key to all this wisdom? Let me tell you, because Solomon concludes with the key to it all. The key is skillful listening. This is something that both men and women have a hard time with. Look at the passage in verse 32. Notice how many times he says, listen. And now, O son, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my way. Hear my instruction. That's number two. And be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Third time, watching daily at my gate, waiting beside my door. My friends, why is it so difficult for us to listen? Men, I don't think we listen for a lot of reasons. I'm just going to be honest. Some of us have pooch syndrome, squirrel, where we're distracted with everything. And we're, 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 we're getting on this tangent and this tangent, and, and we can't remain focused. Some of us are bored. Some of us are tired. Some of us are too busy with the wrong things, and some of us, we just, uh, some things just have no value to us. Women, why don't you listen? Are you too busy talking? Preacher, you're getting into some deep waters now. <laughs> are you distracted? Are you bored? Are you tired? Are you busy? Are you focused on the wrong things? See, each person must evaluate for themselves why we have a difficult time listening. But here's what I know from our passage. If we learn to listen to the voice of God and hear what he has to say, then something beautiful in blessings will happen. You probably didn't notice, but God used intermittently the word blessed with listening. Listen, and you'll be blessed. Listen, and you'll be blessed. Listen, and you will be blessed. And that's what God wants us to understand. And that's why Solomon concludes with two outcomes that will be true of every single one of us in the last two verses. He says, for whoever, verse 35, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But, who, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Do you see the two outcomes? If we listen and we do, we will have life and favor from God. If we don't listen, then we'll have injury and death. In my job, I get to see both. I get to see blessing, but I also get to see injury and death. I see sometimes a couple that's on the verge of death's doorstep. Maybe there's been an affair. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's just a lot of poor decisions. But, but there's a change. 
They're going one direction. The Bible calls it repentance, and they hear the voice of God. And sometimes it's with a counselor that takes them to the word of God. But they hear the word of God, and even though it's tough, they make hard, hard, hard decisions. And all of a sudden, they start making the right decisions on the basis of God's word. And all of a sudden, they start to see how wise God is, and the outcome is something beautiful. And then we sit back, and we just marvel at the brilliance of God. Now, I know that's true because I can look out and I see that's true of many people that are in this room. But unfortunately, there are those that won't listen. They won't say, oh, I'm not going to listen. They just show it in their actions. And in in these cases, injury occurs, which is usually irreversible harm. And death comes, meaning the end of life of a marriage, of a relationship, of trust of some sort. And in these situations, sometimes I stand back and I just observe the stupidity of man. Because we had blessing, we had life, but we chose death. What's characterizing your life? Are you enjoying the beautiful benefits of God? We're going to sing a final song we've sung many times by Phil Wickham, Beautiful. What I love about this song is it observes the beauty of God and everything he's done. But as you observe the beauty of God, ask yourself, am I enjoying the beautiful benefits of God? Am I seeing how wisdom is being applied to my life? And if not, then make some decisions. Make some decisions to display the craft that God has given to you.